Over the weekend, protests erupted across China on a scale that the country hadn't seen in decades. I was completely surprised. I, I mean, I've been covering China for, for years, and when I saw the videos of the protests in Shanghai, I, I for a second didn't believe that those were real. Lily Kuo is the China bureau chief for The Post. She's been covering protests in major cities like Beijing and Shanghai, and as these protests have spread to more rural areas. At first, people were angry about China's zero-COVID policy. The Chinese government enforces very strict lockdown and testing rules, which they say is to prevent the spread of COVID. But then the protests became about much more. This is really remarkable because in China, you know, dissent is pretty controlled and put down quickly. There are still protests against specific policies, but there very rarely is protests against the leaders directly or the system. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Monday, November 28th. Today, what life has been like under zero COVID, the backlash against this policy, and what these protests could mean for the future of China's leadership. Lily, can you tell us about what led up to this moment? What set these protests off? The immediate spark for these protests was a fire in Urumqi, uh, the capital of Xinjiang, on Thursday night. There was a fire in this apartment building that engulfed the building and killed 10 people, including three children. Um, when the fire happened, there were videos that uh, were circulating on social media that showed the fire trucks at a, kind of at a, at a distance to the building and the water that they were spraying didn't quite reach the building. And so that started a lot of speculation and questions about why weren't the trucks able to get close enough? Why weren't they able to get there faster? People were questioning whether the uh, residents weren't able to escape the fire because of these lockdown measures. In a press conference, the uh, local officials said that that was not the case, that the fire trucks were not unable to get there in time or closer because of the COVID restrictions, but because there were too many cars parked along this road, so they couldn't get closer. And then they also said that in the apartment, the fire escape doors were open and the residents could come and go. But it was just that some residents, their ability to save themselves was too weak and they didn't escape. So, of course, uh, these comments created sort of even more anger over the response and people also came back and said, well, the reason why there were all those cars parked in the road is because so many people have been sent to quarantine. So they their cars are left there and they haven't been able to move them. Lily, first, can you just remind us what China's zero COVID policy has has been? China's zero COVID policy since the beginning of the pandemic has been to cut off transmission as quickly as possible, isolate infections and isolate close contacts. They've been doing this through tight border controls, um, mass PCR testing, and uh, and lockdowns. And so how does that play out for the lives of the average citizen? What does this look like, this sort of policy? It's hugely disruptive and, huge and very exhausting for residents in a way that I think is really difficult to understand from the outside. So with the lockdowns, 
kind of at any point, your comp- your residential compound, your apartment complex can be locked down, or you could be in a shopping mall where there's suddenly an infection and the shopping mall gets locked down and you're inside. The lockdown measures can affect you very suddenly and very dramatically. That's sort of what one extreme. You, people also get sent to these quarantine centers when they're not sick or they are um, not really even at risk of being infected and they don't know when they can leave. Um, the conditions at some of these places are really bad. And then there's just sort of day-to-day disruptions where you you need to get tested several times a week. You can't find a testing center. And then so people are just sent in these circles round and round, um, all for the sake of this policy. And if this policy's intention is to prevent major COVID outbreaks, has it in that regard been successful? Has it stopped COVID outbreaks? It has kept infections relatively low in China compared to other countries, and the number of deaths has been lower. And China does point to that as a success and as one of the supporting reasons for continuing this policy. But the the issue is that uh, the Omicron variant is much more contagious, and the vaccines that most Chinese people have been inoculated with are not as effective against Omicron. So we're seeing a new surge in cases now on Sunday. There were more than 39,000 cases reported, um, and that was the fourth um, consecutive day of a record number of new infections in a day. If these vaccines aren't so effective against Omicron, why is it that people in China don't have the other vaccines that many of us around the world do have, or at least in the United States? Yeah, it's a question that a lot of people are asking. Um, And China also just approved um, the Pfizer vaccine uh, for use in China, but only for foreigners. So I think it comes back to this, this issue of the zero COVID policy in China being politicized and it being um, a point of national pride. And I think it has to, uh, yeah, I think it comes back to this idea that that China wants to kind of do this on its own and they wanted to promote their own vaccines. So, Lily, China's zero COVID policy, at the very least, has represented either a minor or major inconvenience, it sounds like, for many people's lives. What are some of the more severe ways it has played out, both like on a macro level and have there been any other incidents like this fire that have occurred? So on a macro level, it's been a big drag on the economy. China's economy is already uh, struggling under a property slowdown and issues like youth unemployment, uh, rising unemployment and a slowdown in consumer spending and things like that. You know, it's been three years of this policy in China. And the first year, people felt relatively positive about it. And then as time went on, especially as the rest of the world opened up and China continued to keep to this policy and these incidents have piled up. The restrictions have also exacted a toll on China's increasingly frustrated residents, like this Beijing local. Only by easing the COVID-19 restrictions can people live a normal life. Otherwise, everything's halted. How many people have the savings to support them if things continually stay halted? And even if you have money to stay at home every day, that's not true living. That's lingering on the last breath of air. Um, One major turning point was a very sudden and dramatic lockdown on the city of Shanghai. And um, the lockdown happened in such a sudden way that residents didn't have time to prepare for it. 
um, the, the city also didn't really have time to prepare for it. And so people were without enough food and it was very chaotic and it caused um, just a huge outpouring of, um, of anger and frustration. One of the recent ones was a bus that was carrying residents to a quarantine center, people who uh, were, were not infected, but they were told they had to go to a quarantine center and a bus was driving them in the middle of the night and flipped over and killed 27 people. Wow. Um, there have been suicides uh, by people who have been locked down um, on, on school university campuses or you know, other buildings. Um, most recently, there were mass riots at a Foxconn factory in, um, in Zhengzhou, which makes you know half of the world's iPhones. And these workers mm. were basic, basically protesting the uh, conditions at the factory that were caused by the zero COVID policy. So these most recent protests, can you describe what they're like? What are some of the things that protesters are saying? Do they have signs? What are those scenes like? So over the weekend, the protests were mostly focused on the the fire in Arumshi. So um, the protests in Shanghai started off as a candlelight vigil for the victims in Rimchi, they gathered on this road in Shanghai that is named after Rimchi. It's Rimchi Middle Road, and they laid candles there and little notes to commemorate the people that died. And people started holding up blank pieces of paper, and the blank pieces of paper, they're a simple protest against the censorship in China. I guess it's kind of a taunt. Um, mm. because the, the pieces of paper don't say anything. And it's also a way to show that, oh, even this, even this act, where I'm not saying anything, even that is um, that is forbidden. Yeah, like a blank piece of paper, it's not even saying anything. And yet that that could be viewed as a threat. Right, exactly. And, and so some people are calling these protests the A4 revolution because they're all kind of A4, <laughs> pieces of A4 paper. Um, oh, wow. And what are some of the things that people are saying at these protests? A lot of the things that people are shouting are, you know, um, kind of unlock or, you know, lift the lockdown on Xinjiang, on China. You know, we want freedom. What was really interesting in in the Shanghai protests is that people started shouting, um, Xi Jinping stepped down, CCP stepped down. Um, we just spoke with a protester that was in Chengdu and posted, um, was part of a group of protesters in Chengdu, the city in um, southwestern China. Um, and these protests were yesterday. And it was interesting because he was saying how um, people were just saying so many different things and they were just yelling so many different things. Like people were yelling about how their jobs had been lost or that they wanted the economy to be better or they wanted, you know, the COVID policies to change or that they don't want dictatorship or they don't want, you know, China doesn't need emperors or rule for life in reference to Xi Jinping. After the break, we talk with Lily about the Chinese government's response to these protests and what they aren't saying. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. 
The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Lily, what has the government in China done in response to these protests? So far in the protests in Shanghai, the police started arresting people. We don't know how many people were arrested. One uh, witness that we talked to said that he saw about 12 people getting arrested very early Sunday morning. He saw them being uh, sort of dragged along the road and, and shoved into police cars. As for official statements, there haven't been any statements from the government and there's been no mention in state media. There have been editorials in the last few days saying how important it is to stick to zero COVID. I can say that there was a, a, a briefing today at the foreign ministry in Beijing where a reporter asked the spokesperson, given all the protests, is China considering um, changing the policy? And um, it was really interesting because the spokesman uh, in the video, you can see him pause for a awkwardly long time. Um, and then I think it's almost two minutes. And then he says, uh, you know, China's always ad- adjusting its COVID policy according to the situation. And then later on, um, a reporter in the same press conference asked, what is the government's response to the fact that there were some protesters calling for President Xi to step down? Um, and the response was, I don't know what you're talking about. I guess just stepping back, do you think that this could push them to reconsider zero COVID as a as a policy? It's really hard to say because on the one hand, they are kind of backed into a corner. Uh, because they have kept this policy in place for so long, the level of natural immunity among the population is pretty low. So if they tried this policy of living with the virus, it would cause a huge surge in cases, um, infections, and probably deaths because China does have a pretty large elderly population and their rates of vaccination are not very high um, and the healthcare system would be very quickly overwhelmed. So in a, in a practical sense, they can't really let go of it now. And then also in a symbolic sense to relax the policy after there have been protests is kind of like saying, if you protest, then that works. Mm. But I guess I also wonder if these policies are unpopular or that they could be the inciting spark to then unleash criticism about the whole entire system of how everything is run. Why not give a little? I guess I'm just wondering, like, why insist on this on this sort of very severe approach to COVID? I mean, three years into the pandemic, when much of the rest of the world is not approaching it this way anymore. Yes, it's very puzzling. (laughs) And I think that one issue is that the leadership doesn't want to admit that they were wrong. And and because uh, zero COVID has um, been seen as, as as a policy that comes straight from the top, then to backtrack on it or to do anything that says that this was wrong is like saying, uh, you know, the top leader, the top leadership that that they were wrong and they can't, they don't they can't admit that mistake. 
and I think China's stance is to say that we'll do we'll do this in our own time. And so the the thing that they keep saying now is, oh, we're always adjusting the policy according to the situation. Um, and I think one of the reasons why there is a lot of anger right now is that um, in the last two weeks, China did release you know a twenty point plan to to sort of loosen the policy, but then there was a big surge in cases, and so places that had just loosened the policy a little bit started tightening again, and so people have been through sort of that whiplash. How big of a threat is this to the the current ruling system in, in China? I guess one of the hallmarks of what is happening right now in China is that the current leader, Xi Jinping, has really concentrated a lot of decision-making in himself. And so major policies like zero COVID are seen to be coming straight from the top and from him. One thing that is interesting for the the timing of this, of, of these protests in this moment, is that China's leader, President Xi, he has just um, he has just come out of this very important party congress where he was given a third term as the leader of the party and the military, um, and the next year he'll he'll also get a new term as president. And so he's he's had this moment where he's basically like the most powerful that he's ever been. So he stacked all the top leadership positions with his guys. He got this new term, which uh, is breaking with the succession norms in China. So, um, and it also kind of sets him up to stay in power for as long as he wants to. So it's really interesting that these protests would happen now at a time when he is supposed to be at his strongest. And I think it's pretty, given how much control the the government keeps on society, it's it's pretty embarrassing, I guess. Um, and it's definitely not something that they want to allow. And so, you know, any kind of crack in the image of their, their control or, you know, the image of their great governance, you know, of the country, any sort of crack in that is you know, very unacceptable. Mm. But as for a real challenge to the continued sort of rule of the continued system, um, I don't think that it's a huge threat at this point. Mm. I'm just wondering how this discontent being voiced in a place where it's very rare to to hear that, how that could have ripple effects and impact the system. Or there might only be a very small group of people who are willing to say that publicly. But I wonder if there are many more people who aren't willing to say it, but now that they hear other people saying it, might realize, oh, there's other people who feel like me. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. And I think that's what has been so remarkable about the protests in the last few days is how quickly they spread to other places in this kind of environment. And so, you know, people that we've been interviewing, I keep asking them, like, well, how did you hear about what happened in that city or that city? Um, because, you know, I mentioned that it, there's no coverage in state media, obviously, but there's also no coverage in non-state media in China. And all news and images of the protests are pretty quickly censored online. But even with that censorship, people still find ways around it. Um, they send news of the protests in, in their chat groups on these platforms. And even though they get deleted, you still see them for a second. And it's enough time for you to save a screenshot or save a copy of it and you know change something about it and send it on. And I think you're right that when you have a, a group of, that every time somebody does something and goes a little bit further in what they say, it emboldens another group um, mm. and they also go further. And so maybe it starts off as, you know, we want 
more reasonable implementation of zero COVID or we don't want zero COVID to like something's wrong with the system. Slowly more and more people are saying things like that. Thank you, Lily, so much for your time. Thank you. Lily Kuo is the China bureau chief for The Post. The story was produced by Sabi Robinson with help from Eliza Dennis. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. The kind of in-depth international news coverage we have on our show is only possible because of the support of listeners like you who subscribe to The Washington Post. If you're not a subscriber yet, now is a great time to start. And if you are, you can gift a Washington Post subscription to someone in your life who could use this kind of valuable reporting. Check out our latest subscription deal at postreports.com slash offer. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.